Hallelujah. Well, it's a joy to welcome you. Happy New Year. Turn to your neighbor and say Happy New Year. I missed you guys. We missed everybody. Amen. Did you miss anybody in the room? Say, I missed you if you missed them. If you didn't, then just lie about it. Well, I'm really, really excited. My name is Chad, and along with uh, Pastor Raphael, we have the privilege to pastor Radiant Central Coast, uh, both English and Espanol. And we are excited, unified together. Uh, we're going to go on a journey and explore the riches of the glory of Christ. And I've, I've uh, mentioned over the years that Colossians is a book I go to when my inner man feels thin or frail because it's the revelation of Jesus that sets our hearts on fire. It is the revelation of who Jesus is, what he's done, what he's doing, what he promises to do at the end of the age. When, when our spirit connects with that truth, the truth of who Jesus is, this is God's strategy to keep the lamp of our spirit burning before him until he comes at the end of the age. And so our goal as we begin this year is that we would collectively look and behold, we would lock eyes and hearts with King Jesus and in that look, in that response to his reach and our reach back, we believe that 2023 can be the best year you've ever had in Jesus. Who wants to believe for that? Or who wants to believe for less than that? Just kind of getting by and, you know, managing sin and, you know, dullness of mind and heart. Or who wants to get into the fire of revelation of who he is, what he's done, what he's doing, and what he promises to do. So as we begin this beautiful series through the book of Colossians, just put your hand on your heart and just pray this simple prayer. Holy Spirit, teach me. Light my heart on fire. Holy Spirit, open my eyes. Holy Spirit, open my ears to hear you, to behold you, to know you, to love you. I want to go on a journey. Tell him that. I want to go on a journey discovering the riches of who you are. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Um, without apology, I'm going to try to up my notes game so you can hold me accountable because now I said it and it's on record. So please, every person should get your smartphone. I have, I have extensive notes that I, I won't feel pressure to get through all of them because you can take them and study yourself. I really want you to take this uh, invitation to Colossians as an amazing invitation. So please scan that. You have a full PDF you have access to on your phone. And then we can make uh, a little bit quicker work through the book of Colossians and our time together. So I'll just wait. If you have a, a neighbor who doesn't understand how that works, can you just whisper to them how it works or show them how it works? And you will find the title, um, the, the line. I'll just wait for 30 seconds or 45 seconds. <laughs> Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the, the truth that sets us free. So... This little book, this little potent letter of Colossians, four chapters, has the capacity, if believed, received, and cherished, and lived, to turn empires upside down, to revolutionize your life, your family, your outlook, by encountering the one that it lifts up, Jesus. And as we begin this letter, I just want to give a little biographical or geographical or sociological background so that we know why is Paul writing? What's going on on the ground? What's happening in this place called Colossae? And as you have on your notes, I'll just make quick work of this. Colossae was a small town on a major trade route that connected the, the Roman Empire east and west. And therefore, because it was on a main thoroughfare, honestly, it's a lot like the Central Coast connecting San Francisco and Los Angeles. Because of its location, it was a hotbed for multicultural, diverse, it had exposure to many different philosophies and religions, and so it was this little town that had access to all of these thoughts and ideas about how humans are to order their life, and big questions like, who is God, or the gods, and how should I live, or how can we flourish, and this little tiny town 
was about 120 miles from a much more important town, the third largest in the Roman Empire, the city of Ephesus, that at least N.T. Wright thinks Paul in prison there. He was in prison at least three times, probably more. He's writing to this small church that's young, small in number, and it was started by an ordinary hometown guy that we'll meet later called Epiphras. So this is Colossae, it's this little town. If you go there today, there's literally a farmer that owns it and he won't let people excavate it. So it's, as far as people who care about history and excavation, we sort of know where the town is, but it's just this pile of rubble that has yet to be mined out like many other New Testament sites and biblical sites. So why would this little unimportant town that was in between way more important places receive a letter from the Apostle Paul? Why did they get a letter? Well, because they faced incredible pressure. Everyone says syncretism. Syncretism is the blend of multiple religions or ideologies or philosophies into one coherent worldview. And just like the early believers at Colossae faced the pressure to blend many ideologies, agendas, religions, and philosophies, how many believe we are under the same threat and pressure? to dilute the purity of God's word and gospel into a multiple streams of ideologies and religions. This little tiny church had a number of false teachers that tried to get the believers to look beyond the gospel and supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus to add to their faith to be more spiritual. They had pressure from Jewish mysticism and trying to kind of introduce or reintroduce ceremonial and dietary laws to get closer to God, that Jesus and his cross wasn't enough. If that wasn't enough, there was polytheism. They lived in this Greco-Roman reality where behind every facet of life, agriculture, sex, rain, um, uh, your own town, there was this pantheon of gods and you never knew who you were getting ready to anger. And so there was this built-in fear that polytheism creates What God is angry? Why isn't the rain coming, the grain? Everything had a God behind it. If that wasn't enough, then there was pressure to venerate angels and there were people in this community that were boasting about their grandiose visions and there was this pecking order of I'm closer to God because of what I've seen and what I've heard. And and then lastly, and maybe maybe we resonate with this most, they were brand new believers, so they were struggling with their own immaturity. Anyone ever struggle with their immaturity and their, their past sins or habits that need the sanctifying work of Holy Spirit? Does everyone get the pressure that these believers were facing? Just say amen and I'll move on. How many feel some of that pressure today? And therefore, the book of Colossians has something for us today. And here's what I love. Oh, I love this so much. In the midst of all of this, what is Paul's strategy? Give them a big, robust vision of the supremacy and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. He says in Colossians 2.17 that Christ is the reality that every other thing is trying to get at, but Christ is the embodiment of ultimate reality. Say that with me. Christ is ultimate reality. He is life itself. And so this is the backdrop of Colossians. If I can move on, can you just say amen? And we'll get right into the text. Colossians chapter one, verses one and two. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God, our Father. Now, if you've been conditioned in reading the Bible for any amount of time, many times we skip the intros and the outros, the the greeting and and the salutation. But you cannot miss the Apostle Paul in prison under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. He's got a lot of time on his hands. We cannot afford to throw any word away. Paul, who's Paul? He was an ex-zealous Pharisee, an expert in the law, zealous for the the, the kingdom of God as he saw it coming through doctrinal purity and ceremonial perfection. He was zealous for God and Paul's whole life was turned upside down when he encountered Jesus in Acts chapter nine. I don't have time to go through it. 
But in that one encounter with Jesus, four things happened. Paul received a new mission and mandate over his life. He could say later in Acts chapter 20 and then 26, my life is worth nothing to me now. The only task that keeps me burning every day is to testify to the good news of God's grace revealed through Jesus Christ. Where he was once a persecutor, a murderer, breathing out murderous threats, trying to snuff out the Jesus movement. One encounter with Jesus flipped his world upside down and he had a new purpose. Number two, he received a new motivation for life. Because he looked upon the slain Savior, Israel's Messiah, and his resurrected glory, when he saw him, the entire mode of operation of his life was now patterned after the love he saw displayed on the cross of Jesus. Now he says in 2 Corinthians 5, everything we do, we're motivated by the love that we see in him. Number three, he received a new ambition. Now, before he wanted to destroy the Jesus movement, but in Romans 15, it says he wanted to share Jesus where he was not known. He wanted to go to the ends of the earth and testify of the gospel. And then he received, number four, a new method that he would do anything it took to communicate the gospel in whatever context he was in so that the, the listeners could respond and receive salvation. So say that with me, mission, motivation, ambition, and method. All of this happened because of the person of Jesus that messed his life up for good. Friends, there is no mistaking it. There is no substituting our need in the 21st century to encounter this same Jesus, Messiah, Christ our Lord. When he encounters us, he brings these four things in our own way. He gives us a new mission and identity, motivation, ambition, and way of being or method. Paul, right here at Colossians 1, you can see he was committed to a multiple generational ministry. Timothy was like a spiritual son to him. It says in, it's on the screen, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 15 through 17. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I sent to you Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. Read this part with me. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. So right here in this little greeting of the book of Colossians, we see Paul, he's an apostle of Christ Jesus, the one he encountered and changed his life, and he's doing ministry with a spiritual son. How many right now could go home and realize, whoa, all of us at some level, no matter your vocation or the, the, the intricacy of your calling, we are called to raise up and to have a multi-generational vision for life and ministry. Can you say amen? All of us are to have a Timothy, someone we're doing life with, we're pouring life into and raising up in the gospel. And even though Paul had not personally at this point been to Colossae, what does he tell them here in verse one and two? You belong to God, you're holy, you're set apart, and you are in Christ. They are in Christ, and because they're in Christ, they're his brothers and his sisters. Now, it's amazing. Did you know that if you're a believer, you're always in two places at once? Turn to your neighbor and say, you're in two places at once. Geographically, no, this is very important. You guys think I'm being goofy. Geographically, where are the believers in Colossae? They are in Colossae. With a town, with a job, with a vocation, with a family, with responsibilities. But simultaneously, geographically, they're there. But in the spirit, where are they? They're in Christ. So even just as we go, we're only on verse 2. What if that mindset, I'm in two places at once always, how could that inform and infuse our everyday, mundane, ordinary life with divine power and purpose? Yes, I'm in Arroyo Grande, but I'm in Christ. Yes, I am giving myself to taking care of my wife and my family, but I'm in Christ. 
How many know that we are meant to be those people who live out of the reality of in Christ? Paul used it at least a hundred times. It's, in, it's like in every other paragraph of every letter he ever wrote. He couldn't get over that to think of Christianity, to conceive of Christianity without taking seriously that Christianity at its core is union and communion with a person would be inconceivable for Paul. In Christ, in Christ, say it with me, in Christ. We're going to say it a hundred times because that's how many times he wrote it. Yeah, I'm kidding. In Christ, in Christ, in Christ. So right here at the beginning of our letter, we get three things. Paul had a call because of the one he encountered. Paul was committed to multi-generational ministry. And Paul spoke to the believers that even though I haven't met you personally, you're always in two places, where you are and where he is in Christ. And then he ends with a beautiful greeting that, again, we often throw away, but they're powerful. What does he speak over the body at Colossae? Grace, say it with me, grace and peace. Grace is that unmerited, this is a new word for my definition in my studies, the unmerited, which means what? I can't, I can't deserve it, I don't earn it. And the, the unmerited intervening and enabling power and love of God. That's grace. And when grace is received and what grace produces among us, in us, and through us is he brings wholeness, healing, and flourishing at a personal, communal, and cosmic level. Grace makes peace possible. Say that with me. Grace makes peace possible. And again, grace, you can't conceive of grace apart from his presence, who God is. So this is our introduction. Those three or four lessons we learn just from those two verses as Paul begins this letter. Verse three, let's continue. We always thank God. Say that phrase with me. We always thank God. The Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all of God's people. The faith and love that spring, say spring, they spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. What I want you to see here for, for Paul, first for Jesus, and then for all the apostles, prayer was their first response for faith, life, and practice. It was never their last resort. How many would say usually when things get really, really bad, that's when we usually drop the one liner, oh, I'll be praying for you. And how many are thankful that prayer is a lifeline when we're hanging on by a thread? Don't mishear me or misquote me. But for Paul, the apostles, for Jesus, prayer was their first response to what God was inviting them into. Paul is in prison. He knows he can't be there in the flesh. And so he does two things. He, A, writes them a letter anointed by the Holy Spirit, revealing the supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus. And then he spends his time contending for all that God has for the church to be manifest and realized in the grace of Christ. For Paul, prayer was his first response. Now, let me ask you a question. Even if that's all you got this week, that whatever you faced Whatever scenario or circumstance you found yourself in this week, what if your first response was to look to what God was thinking, what God was saying, and to invite him in on what you were walking through? How might that transform your life this week? If your first response was, God, what are you saying? What are you thinking? What are you wanting to do? And then you adopted that thankful uh, gratitude spirit, God, what if our first response this week was prayer? Well, Richard Foster said this, because everyone says, well, I pray all the time everywhere. Richard Foster says that He says, you won't pray all the time everywhere until you play some, pray some of the time somewhere. You won't say it. Hold on, let me say it again. You won't pray all the time everywhere until you pray some of the time somewhere. How many believe there's no better way to start our day than in prayer before the Lord? Bible open, speaking, communing, listening to the Holy Spirit. Bible open, journal ready. Lord, here's my day and here's my heart. Be at the center. We won't pray all the time everywhere until we pray some of the time somewhere. God is moving and it's produced three things. Number one, faith in Christ. Look at that verse again. We've heard about your faith in Christ. Everyone say faith. 
Faith in Christ. Faith is twofold. Number one, it's believing that certain claims and things are true. Number one, it's actually believing that certain claims, the claims of Jesus, the claims of Scripture, they're actually true. I love this. I found this quote this morning on accident. I was just looking at old notes and I typed in a hot word on my my Apple notes. And C.S. Lewis says, if Christianity is true, it's of utmost importance. If it's not true, it's not important. The only thing it can't be is nominally important. (laughs) That's C.S. Lewis, not me. If it's true, then it matters more than anything on the earth. If it's not true, ignore it. The only thing it can't be, which for many of us it is, is unimportant. So with faith, it's believing certain claims are actually true. You can read, um, I, I, studied, I don't have time, but all of 1 Corinthians 15, this is some of the clearest truth claims of the gospel. Read it later. It's believing that Jesus actually lived, Jesus actually ministered, Jesus actually died on a cross, Jesus was bodily raised by the Father and the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus appeared to some 500 believers, 1 Corinthians 15. Jesus then was ascended and he sat at the right hand of the Father in glory and Jesus is coming again. So how many believe faith contains believing certain claims are true? But that's not all it is. Faith is not just a mental exercise, it's also commitment to trust that the one that the truth flows from is able to do what he promised he would do. So faith is belief and faith is trust. How many struggle with trust? Trusting that Jesus is able to do what he promised to do while relying on his grace to actually do it. One commentator said this. It was my favorite paragraph I came across. Paul's writing about their faith, which reaches out. Everyone say reaches out to what God has to offer in Jesus. And then what does he say? The third thing, love is, love is that which binds the community together and hope looks eagerly forward to the time when God completes what he began in Jesus. Paul testifies to all three to the church in Colossae. I've heard about your faith. I've heard about the love you have for each other. And all of this springs from the hope that you have. I love this in 1 John chapter 4. Let's read it on the screens together. If anyone acknowledges together that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. Really loud. We love because he first loved us. So Paul, Epaphras has come back to Paul in prison. He's like, dude, the faith is working. Those believers love each other. They have a big vision of the hope that Christ who, Christ who lived, Christ who died, Christ was raised, Christ ascended, and Christ is soon coming. They're pregnant with hope. They're, there's actual fruit in their life. And Paul's like, woohoo, I'm thanking God. This is amazing. Imagine the Apostle Paul when his friend, one of his fellow workers, this regular ordinary Colossian dude named Epiphras comes back and it just causes Paul's heart to be on fire. How many want to be that kind of church that when we see faith taking root in each other, it causes us to go, "Woo! God is working in our midst. When we look at each other and we realize that there's a love flowing that transcends our ethnicity, our pay grade, our economic status, our background. It's a love that is modeled after the cross. And how many want to be a community that doesn't just disseminate the news of culture and how hard and how bad? There's a place for that, but there's a people who speak that the low... And through this confession, the gospel, the announcement that something undeniable has split history, we tell time different because of the work of Christ. This is not a suggestion. This is not a theory amongst a billion theories of ideologies, agendas, theologies, philosophies of man. This is an announcement that God has intervened into the plight of human brokenness, darkness, and sin. And there is a window, a door that's flung open called the good news that we can be remade through the grace of Christ. And Paul hearkens it like seeds that are springing forth from the soil. The gospel's bearing fruit 
all over the world. And how do you bear fruit when you understand grace? Oh, say it with me. I bear fruit when I understand grace. When I understand that how God works, what, he de- what God wants to do through me, he first wants to do in me by his undeserved love and enabling power. Through the gospel, we become new humans. It's a very famous verse. Someone quote it for me. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. Come on, someone say amen for the gospel. The new is here. The old is gone. When you, when you understand grace, when you receive it by faith, when the faith produces a love for God and for neighbor and for the world because you have an eternal hope that he who came will come again and finish the work he's beginning in you by his grace. When you live into all of that, you actually become a new human. You are a new creation. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are a new creation. And all of this is the work of God's grace. And who is Epiphras? Why do I love Colossians? Well, for a lot of reasons I've already mentioned, but one of the reasons I really love Colossians is if you go back into Acts chapter 19, listen, the Apostle Paul was in Ephesus for for a number of years and he was rejected by his Jewish comrades. And so he's like, all right, I'm just going to, because I was rejected and life got hard, I'm just going to throw in the towel, quit, and just make tents for a living. No, what did he do? He found a place that was open and a people that were receptive, and he poured fire on them. He spoke the gospel to those who were hungry. How many know if you don't quit, you win? For the Apostle Paul, he could have been discouraged in Ephesus, but Ephesus would become the epicenter for mission in the entire region of Asia Minor because Paul didn't let rejection stifle the call of God on his life to preach the gospel, to raise a generation, and deploy messengers all over the earth to bear witness to the rule and reign of King Jesus. Colossians was started not by the mighty Paul, but by the unknown Epiphras who was discipled under Paul, who thought, you know what, this gospel stuff's pretty great. I'm going to go to my hometown, share the good news of Jesus, and see a church born. Oh, come on. This is Colossians. Epiphras, who is he? He's a servant. He's just one of Paul's sons that got raised up, and he just thought, man, This is too good to keep to myself. I need to go back home to that little town that connected major thought, major highway. I'm going to share the gospel and see what God will do. How many believe God would do things if we would just open our mouth and just speak simply of the good news of what Jesus has done and what Jesus has done and is doing? Epiphras is just a regular old dude. We don't know hardly anything about him, but he planted a church in his hometown because he just wanted to share in the treasure that he discovered in Jesus as well. How many want to view the gospel as the greatest gift and treasure you've ever received? How many need that thing to be dusted off in 2023 and to rediscover again that we have the hope of glory on the inside of us if we're in Christ? We have the eternal good news of the gospel. And Epiphras is like, I'm going to go share it. But here's what I love. He didn't stop with just sharing it. Colossians 4.12, this is the kind of guy he was. Epiphras, verse 12, who was one of you. He's a servant of Christ Jesus, sends you his greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in the will of God, mature and fully assured. Friends, if you get anything from these first eight verses, the instrumental, unmistakable importance of prayer in the life of the church prayer in the life of leadership prayer in the life of our shared life prayer one for another Paul's praying always we're going to get to it in verse 9 I just keep asking everyone say I just keep asking I'm always thinking I'm always praying Epiphras the one who planted the work he's wrestling he's wrestling he's praying he's contending They didn't have the Gutenberg press. They didn't have social media. Paul viewed prayer as the main vehicle that drove discipleship forward in the life of the church. How many want an upgrade on your vision of what actually happens at the transfer when we say yes to pray and we release the power, the purposes and plans of God into people, places and things we're contending for? Blah. 
For Paul, prayer was the main way he, from afar, discipled the people that he was responsible for. Who are you praying for? Are you contending for someone right now? Are you contending for your marriage? Are you praying? Are you thanking God for what he's done? But are you believing God for what he's promised yet to do? Paul's always praying. Epiphras, the church planter, is always wrestling for one thing, that the seed that began to grow will grow to full maturation. How many believe there's always more? Turn to your neighbor and say, there's always more fruit. There's always more vibrancy. There's always more fullness. And then to finish verse 8, Epiphras has come back. In verse 8, what does it say? And he's told us of your love in the Spirit. I want you to know that Christianity is not just humans gritting their teeth, trying to be better and to sin less and to be nice. Christianity at its core, as I described, is, is a, it's a faith that there is a living God who intervenes, enables, and empowers broken people to live a categorically brand new life because of his presence and power at work in us. I want you to hear that. Christianity isn't just come to God, clean up yourself, and try really hard. Now, there is effort involved. There is the setting of our hearts, minds, and wills, and affection. But all of it is in response to God's initiation, God's enablement, and God's power. Paul, he's saying to the church in Colossae, Epiphras came back and he told us not of the love that you're cultivating out of sheer grit and determination. No, because you're in Christ, you're in the spirit and the spirit, if you'll let him have his way, will produce fruit in your life. Christianity more accurately embodied and described looks like this. I'm leaning on the finished work of Jesus and as I rely on him, his Holy Spirit propels me forward into greater fruitfulness and fullness. How many believe that there is a love in the spirit that God wants to release in this last hour that is unmistakably from another place, the kingdom of heaven? Not a love that looks like I'm, I'm for you as long as you agree with me, like me, think like me. No, a love that is literally from, born from the very heart of God. How many believe we need love in the spirit in our time? Love in the spirit. I love it. It says in, in 1 John 3, this is how we know what love is. What is love? Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Read it with me, verse 17 and 18. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Right, nice and loud. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Paul's saying, dude, your, your homie Epiphras, he's come back. I'm still in prison. But he's telling me about what God's doing in your midst. Friends, how many want to say yes to what the Holy Spirit wants to do in Radiant and through Radiant this year? A love produced by the Holy Spirit. So really quick, what does he pray? Colossians 1, 9 through 10. For this reason, for what reason? Everything we just said. Faith, hope, and love. The grace of God at work. Fruitfulness of the gospel bearing, uh, breaking through the soil of your experience together. Since we've heard about you, we have not, say it with me, we have not stopped praying for you. And then read this part with me again. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Why? So they could be a bunch of religious know-it-alls? So they can just know a bunch of cool facts that has no bearing on their life? No. Why? So that you may live life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in how many good works? In every good work, growing and the knowledge of God. Oh, I want to preach right here. Oh. Okay, listen. Remember the eight pressures I started this, the teaching with? Syncretism, world, philosophies. Paul doesn't, his first, oh my goodness, his first response is not to go horizontal. His first response is to go vertical and say, God, release the reality from there here. 
His first response is not, let's, let's talk about the new one. Now listen, I'm going to get there. It's good to know culture. It's good to know the ideology. You got to know the stuff. But it is not more important than knowing ultimate reality, the, the, the reality of Christ and his kingdom and his cross and his promises. For Paul, when he looks at a church that's fledgling, they're young, they're not on the verge of apostasy like other churches, like the Corinthians, for example. They're doing good. They've got faith, they're love, but there's some challenges they're facing. And he doesn't first go to the challenges, man, this will preach. He first says, Lord, I want to introduce them to the one who won't just help them for a moment, but will help them for a lifetime if they get connected with him. Oh, that's good. He doesn't, he doesn't step in as a father and as a brilliant theologian first and give him 25 answers. He's like, Lord, the first thing I want for that church is for them to learn how to draw from you first, single, personally and communally, so that whatever they face, whether it's false religion, persecution, hostility, a bad habit or immaturity, they'll know how to go where the bread is hot. They'll know to go where the river flows. They'll know to go where there's power and resources for whatever we face. Oh, that's good. So Paul, as a father, he doesn't leap, jump in and flex his intellectual muscles. He's like, no, I've not stopped praying. You all need to learn how to ascend and to go where the glory flows like a river. You need to go. You need to learn the tools for your marriage, for your finances, for, the, for your workplace, for the pressure you feel from the other agendas and ideologies of our generation. You need to learn that instead of being overwhelmed by what's surrounding you to ascend and to go where there's knowledge, there's wisdom, there's understanding, there's strength and there's might and there's insight and there's power that's available to every person who's in Christ. Not just for geniuses, not just for experts, not just for preachers. Every believer in our time must learn to go up first before you try to conquer the horizontal mess that we're in, in our generation. He doesn't go into, I know those weird people that venerate angels. I know, I know like the, those people who are trying to get you to go back to the law. He gets there in chapter two, but it's not how he starts. Come on, beloved. You and I can put band-aids on each other for a lifetime. It's time to get us connected to the one who can bring healing and establish us in his grace. For this reason, I've not stopped praying for you. Oh, I'm just content. This is Paul, father. You all, you're my children through Epiphras. You're, I love you. You're, I take responsibility for you. But you all need to understand that the first thing you want to give yourself to in 2023 is to learn how to ascend and receive God's insight, wisdom, and understanding for the hour in which we live. How many believe God knows how we are to live in our time? Or do you think he's taken back and confused? But God, you don't understand the pressure that I feel from every, yeah, I understand the pressure. I'm the one that the nations are raging against. I understand what it is to live in a contested space. This is the Lord speaking. So Paul prays, go up and receive the knowledge, understanding, and wisdom that you're going to need to navigate the complexity of our time. How many believe we need wisdom and understanding? We don't just need to know what God is thinking. That's understanding. We need to know how it applies and materializes in our real life. Everyone say understanding to know what? Wisdom to know how it works. To know what and how it works. Paul's praying this over the church. You're going to need both. So, hey, Chad, I don't know the gospel. Well, you need to know. God's not going to bypass your call to become a student of his word by just zapping you. Become a person of the word. Sorry. But God, just do it for me. Okay, he'll do a lot for you, like save you, redeem you, sanctify you, make you holy. But you're going to have to cooperate with the grace and power that he's released and made available. Can we say amen? amen. <laughs> we, some of, we need to know stuff. But the Spirit wants to give us, he wants to escort us into that knowledge by way of building a relationship with the one who is truth incarnate, Jesus Christ. He's called, Jesus is called the truth. The Holy Spirit's called the spirit of truth. Don't have time, it's in the notes. That's why I made them. You can go back to them. Please go back to them. They're robust. You can go all over the place. They're beautiful. Moving on. Are we doing good? I'm so happy. That was fun right there for a minute. Woo! Shoo! Knowledge of his will. Oh, I already said a lot of this. This is great. To know what his will is. 
How many know it's one thing to know what, it's another thing to know how it materializes? Who, 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 who would say, Chad, sometimes I feel like I know what I'm supposed to do, but I don't quite know how I'm supposed to do it. You need knowledge and wisdom. And the Spirit will give both. And by the way, that's why we need each other, to help each other walk it out. I love it. He says it's what the Spirit gives. Remember, Paul is writing to people who are trying to tell these Colossian believers that Christ will not provide the fullness you seek. And this is why fill and fullness is all over the book of Colossians. You don't need Christ and so that you'll be full. You have Christ who is the fullness and you are being made full in him. Can we say amen? This is why Paul is obsessed with this idea of fill or fullness. Because everyone wants to come in and say, no, Jesus isn't enough. You need this and that. And Paul's like, nah, I'm praying he would fill you with the fullness. Lastly, okay, we're doing so good. Skip all that. You can read it yourself. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, verse 11, so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who's qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people and the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. Paul is praying not just that we would know, not just that we would understand, but now he's praying in God, knowledge, understanding, and wisdom, they need one thing, the energy and power of my actual presence to move them forward to greater fruitfulness and fullness. How many are thankful? Knowing is good, understanding is great, wisdom even better. But we need the power of the Holy Spirit in our time to move us to do ordinary things but in his grace. How many need the power of the Holy Spirit to move you forward in your marriage? Normal things, power of the Holy Spirit to move you to be able to relate to that person at work. And I say, amen, okay? Not me. I got great people I work with. You know what I'm saying. But Paul, I love the Apostle Paul. He covers it. Yes, they need knowledge. They understand it. What is it? Understand it. But now, glorious might, power of spirit come upon the church. Fill them and move them. I love this. Endurance so that they'll have great. Oh, I don't like that part of the endurance. The great endurance. Everyone say great endurance which means we're in a race and there's a battle and there's things to conquer. Endurance sort of carries the idea of being able to grow through hard circumstances. How many have been through something hard, but God helped you get through? So there's endurance, but then he also prays patience, the ability to love hard people. I like that in the note. I didn't come up with that. Endurance, get through hard things. Patience, love hard people. How many could use one or both? Endurance and patience. And then he says, I give joyful thanks to the Father. Friends, what if this year we said yes to the call of God to become worshipful, prayer-filled, Jesus-centered people? Paul's like, I, I, I wrote this down. Because it, it starts with thanks and praise, verse 3. He, he, he starts again with thanks and praise, verse 9. And here he ends again, 11 and 12. For this reason, I just keep thanking, I keep praising. How many believe praise and thanksgiving are the oil that make our entire discipleship to Jesus grow, flow, and go? A grubby, self-centered, absorbed, entitled people do not attract the presence and power of God that he longs to pour out. So Paul's modeling for us, you want to have oil that makes everything move and work in your life the way it's supposed to, Become a person of praise and thankfulness. How many want to grow in thankfulness this year? Because the Father has qualified us to share in his inheritance to a new life, to a new spiritual family, and into a new kingdom, the kingdom of light. He rescues us from our slavery to sin. He redeems us from the power and penalty of sin, which is death apart from him for eternity. And he releases forgiveness of sin so that we can live in the fullness of his purpose and his presence today. And I want to underscore this at, at the end of the notes there. Paul is not preaching this. I guess he kind of is because it became a letter. Paul's praying all this stuff. Get that. 
We just got, not from my lips, because I barely scratched the surface. Paul is praying all the stuff I just preached. Can you see that? The things you just heard preached, Paul in prison is praying them into the church so that what he's praying for becomes their reality. How many are getting a vision that there are things you can do, even though you feel estranged from your child or from your colleague or your coworker or your neighbor or your spouse or your friend, you can pray things first before they materialize in the natural. How many believe prayer is not our last resort, it's our first response for God to do what he wants and wills to do in the people, places, and things that we love, lead, and do life with? Pray. Well, I guess all we got left to do is pray. No, 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 no. I can't believe we get to pray. This is very practical. At least I hope this last slide is very practical. It's in the notes. I didn't make slides with one-liners. Chad, what do I pray this week? Right now, who has someone or something, a person, place, or thing that they can pray for this week? Every hand. I mean, at least one thing. Chad, Chad what do I, many things. Prayer isn't our last resort. It's our first response. It's our lifeline. That's what we're getting from these first 14 verses. Chad, what do I pray? I don't know. Pray that God would release his power and presence. How many, it would take you five minutes to pray for everyone you love, lead, and do life with just to pray that prayer. Lord, release your presence on, let's say their name. Lord, release your power and presence on. Thank you. Myself, okay, obviously ourselves. Because the reason why we don't pray is either A, we don't have revelation of who we are in Christ and what Christ has done, or B, we don't know how. Pray this passage. Lord, release your presence and power over fill in the blank. Number two, what else can you pray? Pray the promises of God that have been fulfilled in Jesus and are accessible through Jesus by faith. There's like how many? It's like a promise book. 600 promises? Six, I forgot. There's a, a lot of promises to choose from. Google it. Promises of God. <clears throat> Pray that the principles of God's kingdom would be practiced by faith for those that you're praying for. How many know that God won't do it all for us? We're meant to, if, the power and presence, Right? his promises, but then we want to pray for those we love, lead, and do life with. Lord, let them adopt and practice the principles of your word so that they can grow in their following you. And then lastly, we want to pray for the purposes of God to be activated in and through God's people for the sake of the world. Amen. How many, how many sense the Lord drawing them by the Spirit closer to Jesus today? I want to know him. I want to love him. I want to respond to him. When you stand to your feet, I want to, I want to call for a response. I did have it on a slide. Darn it. There you go. Presence and power, promises, principles, purposes. My first question is how many want God to to, to breathe on that three strand that Paul always talks about in his letters, faith, hope, and love. How many could use some more faith, hope, and love? Raise your hand. Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask, release faith, hope, and love into our body right now by the Holy Spirit. Faith, believing certain things are true and trusting that you are who you say you are, you will do what you've said you will do. Committed to obey you and abide in you. Love, Lord, we want that faith in you to materialize in loving each other like Christ has loved us. And hope, Lord, we want to be people who live now in light of our glorious future. Faith, hope, and love, Lord, I pray that three-quartered strand would be tied on the inside of our church this morning. Number three, how many are facing things that you need God to release knowledge and understanding of his will? Raise your hand. You need knowledge. You need understanding. But you don't want to stop there. You want him to give you wisdom, not just what it is, but how it works. Lift your hands and call out. Say, Holy Spirit, release the knowledge of God, who he is, what he thinks, what he feels, what he wills, what he wants, what he's promised. Lord, release the knowledge of your will. And Lord, release the wisdom, how it works, how it's applied, how it's embodied through 
simple obedience to your will and to your way. God, we ask for the knowledge of your will. We want to encounter you as a lifestyle to walk in step with Holy Spirit, who is the Spirit of truth. Lord, release the knowledge and wisdom. And how many need power today? The glorious might of his power. Raise your hand. Lord, I pray, pour out the power of the Holy Spirit on our body. Right now, Lord, I pray, like Paul prayed from prison, Lord, release the glory of your splendor and your might on the inside of your church. Father, we are facing things, mountains we cannot climb on our own, rivers we cannot cross, seas we cannot span, giants that are too tall and too strong. But Lord, you promised to empower a people submitted to the Lordship of your son, Jesus. So I'm asking, Lord, you'd release the glorious splendor of your power inside us and then through us. And I love this right there in verse 12. How many want greater insight of the inheritance that the Father has qualified us to participate in? Come on, how many want to know your inheritance? That you've been rescued from sin. How many need rescue today from, a, from your past, from a habit, from a stronghold? Lift your hands and say, Lord, rescue me through your son today. Lord, rescue me from sin. Rescue me from the power of my past. Rescue me from the stronghold. Rescue me. Fill in the blank. Say, Lord, rescue me. You've qualified me to be free because the Father loves us so much that he gave his son. Father, we're asking for the rescuing and healing power of Jesus to be released over our body today. Thank you, Lord, for forgiveness. How many need forgiveness today? Can you say amen? Father, I thank you for forgiving us of our sins. Just say that, Jesus, thank you for forgiving me. Though I, I deserve death, I deserve estrangement, I deserve being far, but through your mercy, you bring me home in the forgiveness of my sins. And all of this is because the Father loves, the Father gives, and the Spirit makes real in our lives by faith. Father, we pray this passage into us this week, that you would move us further down the field and let the gospel bear fruit in the people, places, and things you've called us to love, lead, and do life with. We give you all the glory, all the praise, and all the honor. We all said in Jesus' name, amen and amen. If you need prayer, you want someone to pray over you, come up front. If not, have a phenomenal week. I love you so much. Give somebody a fist bump or a hug and tell them that Christ is in them and he's the hope of glory.